This is the Holy Gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, according to St. John. Jesus said, Very truly I tell you, anyone who does not enter the sheepfold by the gate but climbs in by another way is a thief and a bandit. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. They will not follow a stranger, but they will run from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus used this figure of speech with them, but they did not understand what he was saying. So again, Jesus said to them, Very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and bandits, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters by me will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. This is the gospel of the Lord. Please be seated. So last weekend, I traveled to my hometown, Washington, D.C., for a short visit with my brother, Hans. Lutheran Hans. I mean, I, did I have to end up in a Lutheran church? Of course I did. After landing at National Airport, I stopped by a newsstand to buy that day's Washington Post, the paper I read for every day for nearly 30 years when I lived and worked there. As I was flipping through its pages, I came across the following letter to the editor from a social worker by the name of Willa Day Morris, referring to a piece on homelessness that had appeared a few days earlier in the Post Ms. Morris wrote the following. Well, while well-written and interesting, this recent article continued a form of reference that the Post has used for some time. The use of the phrase, the homeless, when referring to people who are experiencing homelessness. When language is used to put people into a group, Ms. Morris continued, it takes away from their humanity their individual stories and other factors that make up their lives. Being homeless is not everything about a person. Indeed, it is hopefully a temporary state. It would be far more dignified and respectful, Ms. Morris concluded, to refer to people by their actual names." End quote. Ms. Morris is right, of course. We often use the language of groups or categories as a device to objectify people, to keep them at a distance, to domesticate them, to protect ourselves from encountering them as individual human beings. We all do it. We pigeonhole each other. We are conservatives or liberals, white people or people of color, Americans or foreigners, believers or skeptics, and so on. We love labeling. It is usually easier, more expedient, to sweep people into groups 
than to understand and appreciate each other in our particularity, our uniqueness. You can call it linguistic profiling, reducing people to a set of presumed characteristics or qualities that come with a group label. Do not underestimate the power of this kind of thinking, this way of speaking. At its most insidious, linguistic profiling is a first step in the process of dehumanizing, even demonizing people different from us, whoever us may be. The Nazis did it to the Jews. Men have done it to women. We Americans at different times in our history have done it to native peoples, to African American peoples, to immigrants of all backgrounds, to queer people, to the disabled. Linguistic profiling, it is dangerous stuff. The truth is that how we address a person matters deeply. What we call a person signals how we want or hope to relate with her or him. It is one of those linguistic practices that we all learn to negotiate from childhood. Names can communicate love, as when parents give their children or spouses give each other familiar and endearing nicknames. I won't tell you what my wife's nickname is. But names can communicate hate, too as the history of racist epithets all too painfully demonstrate. Names can confer respect just as they can belittle. And even though we teach our children, sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me, this is a bit of a white lie. We say this mantra to our children not because names don't hurt, but precisely because we know that they do. Our real aim in offering our children this old bromide is to teach them resilience from the hurt of name-calling, which is a good thing, don't get me wrong. But perhaps we would be wiser to actually acknowledge to our children that names can cause pain so that they in turn don't use names as weapons themselves. These truths about the power of naming have deep roots in the Bible, of course, going all the way back to Genesis. When God creates, God does so by speaking things into existence and giving them names. When God says, let there be light, and separates the light from the darkness, God does so by calling the light day and the darkness night. And ultimately, when God creates humanity, one of the very first things God does is to confer upon Adam and Eve the authority to name the creatures of the earth. And in the Bible, a change in a person's name also signals a transition in that person's relationship to God. So, for example, when God calls Abram and Sarai into his service, God renames them Abraham and Sarah, marking a dramatic shift in their life's trajectory, a new mission, a new way of life bound in faith to the God who named them. The same thing happens to Jacob, who after he wrestles with God's angel near the Jabbok River, is thereafter known as Israel, which means striving with God. And in the New Testament, too, after he confesses Christ to be the anointed one, Simon becomes Peter, the rock, upon which Christ builds his church. 
And likewise, Saul of Tarsus, after his conversion on the road to Damascus, becomes Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles. In short, names in the Bible matter and signal the kind of relationship God desires with us. Which is why one of the most important details from today's gospel text is Jesus' insistence that, as the good shepherd, he calls his sheep by their individual names. The good shepherd calls his sheep by name. Jesus, you see, refuses to lump us together in an undifferentiated flock, a mere statistic or exemplar of some group identity. Rather, he knows each one of us our names, our stories, our hopes, our fears, our joys, our sorrows. In promising to be our good shepherd, Jesus is not only identifying with the beloved 23rd Psalm of King David, but he is also living into the prophetic words of Isaiah, who describes a Messiah in chapter 42 of his book, who will claim and name his beloved people one by one. As God says through the voice of the prophet, quote, I will call you by name. You are mine. You are precious in my sight and honored, and I love you. End quote. Just so does Jesus, as our good shepherd, fulfill this prophecy of a God who relentlessly calls us, knows us, honors us, and loves us each by name. Being called by name, of course, is one of the great themes of the whole Easter season. Remember what happened on that very first Easter morning when Mary Magdalene goes to the tomb to visit her dear dead friend, only to find the tomb empty? She is understandably bewildered. She turns and, and sees the shadow of a man, but can't quite make out who he is. It must be the gardener, she says to herself, come to tend the grounds. If you've taken Jesus' body, she sputters to him, please tell me where he is. In reply, the man speaks just one word that changes everything. Mary the risen Christ says, Mary. And then she remembers. She remembers what we heard today in our gospel lesson, that Jesus had once said, I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep and will call them by name. And now through her tears, Mary hears her name, sees her good shepherd, and knows that Christ is alive. And just like that, with the utterance of a name, everything changes. It is not merely that Christ is risen in some general and cosmic sense. Christ is risen for each and every one of us, beckoning us to follow him by name. That the risen Christ, our good shepherd, knows us, names us, and loves every part of us is the wonderfully good news of today's gospel. But it is good news that comes 
with a slight catch. Jesus loves us as we are, true enough. But the thing about Jesus is that he never leaves us as we are. Instead, he calls us into an abundant new life patterned after his own. You see, once called by Jesus, we are not free just to go about our business, pleased with ourselves that we are loved by God while ignoring everyone around us, sweeping them away as others who belong to some other group besides our own. Rather, we are bidden by the Good Shepherd to encounter each other in our full and unique humanity, to see the precious in each other, to know each other by name, and to recognize that I cannot be fully who God intends me to be if I don't fully know and embrace who you are. For Christians, baptism is that sacrament through which we as individuals are initiated into this life of mutual knowing and loving and service. As a pastor and priest in the church, I have the privilege to baptize children into the Christian faith. And in doing so, the very first thing I am required to do as the family approaches the font is to turn to the parents and say, name this child. It's a simple enough act, but its significance is far from simple. As a community of faithful people, we stand before God and pause to recognize by a uniquely personal name each individual child as a precious reflection of God. And then, as we baptize him or her into God's family, we insist upon a promise from the newly baptized, a promise to seek and serve Christ in all persons, loving one's neighbor as oneself and respecting the dignity of every human being. There's that catch again, the responsibility that comes with being God's precious and beloved child is the task, a privilege really, of sharing that love with every single person we ever encounter in life. Finally, allow me to speak personally for just a moment. If I am privileged to be called as your pastor, the one promise I will make is to do my very best to learn your name, to know something about your story, and to love you for who you are. It will take some time, of course, but that is my commitment to you. But more importantly, more importantly, I hope you will join me in making a similar promise. Let's accept our Good Shepherd's invitation to create a beloved community in which we not only know each other's name and resist labeling each other with superficial group identities, but that we actually become sisters and brothers in Christ all for the sake of love. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon from Holy Trinity Evangelical Lutheran Church in Newington, New Hampshire. 
part of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. You can find us at htelc.com. And don't forget, you are loved.